Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's that's cool, I guess. This is Charlie <laughs> O'Connor from BSH Radio, back with our third episode of Other Stuff, the music and movie show that I started because we don't have hockey. So, last week we had Kelly Hinkle with her first time on the show, and this week we bring back our good friend Bill Matz. Bill, thanks for rejoining us. Oh, anytime, Charlie. I like I like that uh, I like that this is the Charlie show, and I can just. I could just skate by and let you do your thing. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I mean, we just generally let you do your thing on BSH Radio, so it's a little bit extra work for me, but I think I can deal with it. As <laughs> I've always said, like like people who who were hopefully there aren't that many, but people who are like critical of you, I'm like, I don't think you understand how unbelievably difficult it is to host a show. It is really freaking hard, and you're really really good at it. Like, I mean. I can talk about stats all I want, but if there's not someone guiding the conversation, it just goes off the rails, and you're always really good at that. No, and I just think that's the the mix we have at BSH makes makes the four people we have work really well. Always, uh, man, this was this was a good one though. For these, uh, this other stuff is a great idea. Just letting us talk about whatever the hell we want. Yeah, I mean, there's no hockey, so we might as well have some fun with it. And I'm obviously a huge music person. I think. Everybody who's not named Steph Driver is at least a sort of big movie person. So it's something for, you know, for us to talk about and have some fun with. I, you know, I, I actually, I kind of want before this, this quarantine, self-isolation, whatever, before this ends, I want to have Steph on the show at least once. And I want her to have to movie. We have to have Steph movie at least once. That's absolutely the goal. Like, uh, I have like a list of movies. Like, okay, these are all movies I've been putting off forever like, I've never seen Deer Hunter or Apocalypse Now. I need to see these movies, and I have made no headway on them. So I do get that. Like, Yeah, well, the next time you're on the show, why don't you – because what we've been doing just for the listeners, um, like, if, if, it's, if it's my job to pick the album, I usually will – I'll try to send over, like, a couple albums for people to choose from. And Bill did the same thing this week with movies. He sent over, like, five or six possible movies that he was – because you don't know if the other person hasn't seen the movie. And then the person picks and chooses which one they want to do. Well, we the next time we have you on the show, because the next time you'll be picking the movie, you got to send me a list of, like, the movies that you want to see but haven't yet. And then I'll just give you one that I have seen, and we'll go with that. Oh, perfect. All right. I like it. There we go. All right. But, you know, I did give a little spoiler here. This week is the week where Bill picks the movie because uh, last the last time you were on the show, we went with The Highlander, which we had a lot of fun doing, I think. That was that was a blast. That was excellent. Always, always a good thing to revisit The Highlander, even as someone who's watched it a bunch of times like me. But this week, it was Bill's turn to pick the movie. And Bill, what did you pick? Well, Charlie, uh, you have me on a week early here. I was really hoping to get the movie episode in for 420, but we're a week early, <laughs> and the whole the whole month is 420, it being April of 2020. So uh, I went with the 1978 classic, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Uh, <laughs> you, you want me to give a brief brief description of the plot here and that's easy because there isn't one <laughs> yeah it really is it let's like, let's start with because i think like there are probably most of our listeners know who cheech and chong are but not yeah. all so let for the people who don't bill explain exactly who the hell cheech and chong are uh, cheech and chong are cheech marin and tommy chong you might know them from nash bridges and that 70s show fame uh but in like the uh, 70s and 80s they were a comedy duo who did a lot of stoner comedy bits. They put out some albums. They've won a Grammy, uh, some parody songs. So they were just this hilarious, you know, counterculture-style duo who ended up making these low-budget movies, and they became, uh, you know, Up in Smoke, the first one they do. It kind of becomes the blueprint for, you know, the next 40 years of stoner comedies. Yeah, that was, like, I, I had never seen a Cheech and Chong movie. I've barely seen any of their comedy. But I, I did I did know in the back of my head that, like, these guys kind of pioneered the concept of, like, stoner movies, stoner comedies, things like that. And I did know, like, I'm far from... Like, I'm far from a connoisseur of of this kind of movie, but I, I did like the Harold and Kumar movies. So, like, I, I have a little bit of an in there. Like, I thought those were funny, particularly the first one, I think, is a classic. So I was like, okay, it'll be interesting to see, like, the very first one, because it seems like this one kind of was the very first real stoner movie. 
Yeah, and as, like, ridiculous as something like a movie based on the idea of going to White Castle might seem, <laughs> this movie, it is far more coherent than anything <laughs> in Up in Smoke. Uh, I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. Uh, and I guess Cheech and Chong are, uh, they meet when uh, Chong is uh, hitchhiking. And this is how I think all bands in the 70s formed. Uh, you just pick up a hitchhiker and then you go, hey, I got a joint. Want to smoke it? And you smoke a joint. And next thing you know, you're in a band together. Uh, there you go. Yeah. And they end up somehow unknowingly smuggling a van made out of weed from Mexico into America. And the cops are after them because they know the van's made of weed. And even though Cheech and Chong don't. And then that plot point just kind of goes away at some point and they, <laughs> they perform in a battle of the bands they fanned out about earlier that day and i guess they won it uh yeah it, i think so i think they win it was just uh it's it's a good time it was it's it's i think an hour and 26 minutes like it's under 90 minutes long it's definitely not an epic or anything if you're looking to kill some time um it, it was fun that's that's what i would say about the movie it's fun it's I love things like the the tropes that they uh, the tropes that they get into that that scene where um, Chong pulls out the giant joint the first time, yeah, and yeah. Cheech is like, "Oh man, I'll smoke that all day. I, I I can smoke that whole thing by myself," and then immediately is freaking the fuck out. <laughs> I think that's like when uh, everyone knows that guy. Like if like if you have a smoker buddy, you know that guy. And I think that's kind of what stoner movies are supposed to do. Yet you're supposed to watch them with your Chong or with your Cheech and then turn to your friend and say, hey, man, that's you. That's effing you. And I think, like, they accomplished that a bunch of times in this movie. Yeah, I, I did find it funny because, like, I mean, I go in and I guess I, I, I knew on some level that there wasn't going to be a plot. But I guess I still was going in operating the assumption there was going to be some kind of plot. <laughs> And there really wasn't no. like like the as, as you said the I guess the climax of the movie is they go to this battle of the bands and they win this battle the battle of the bands and I guess that means they're going to make some money which they can use to buy more weed but like they don't even bring the concept of a battle of the bands into the movie until it's like two thirds of the way done they pick up these two women hitchhikers who are like by the way you should do this battle of the bands and it's like ah sure let's do it <laughs> like, like there's a, the the idea that there is a like an actual like like rising and falling plot here where everything's building to a certain thing. Like, no, the whole movie is kind of just about, they want weed. And I guess, I guess that is the, the, the climactic peak of the movie is that they make all this money so that they can buy weed and solve their weed problem. Yeah. I guess even though they were driving around in a van made of it, that they had no idea it was made of it. So that guess- is the, yeah, that is the funny part is like they had all the weed they could have wanted literally made out of the van they're in for half the movie and they have no clue it was uh i think like i guess the best running gag in it is just people who look like cheech and chong get pulled over by the police a lot like i guess that's just i and you know it's hard to blame the police in this situation but uh what i i always enjoy the bumbling cops like they just can't they accidentally erase like they accidentally uh like pull over the nuns at the border and all that stuff. Like I, I just love even as dumb as Cheech and Chong are, you know who's dumber? Those effing police. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's like that's gotta be an essential part of a stoner yeah. movie, right? Because like this all stoners hate the cops, so you gotta make the cops seem dumb. But you also like you don't wanna make the cops seem evil because that's too that's too deep for a you know for a a stoner movie you just have to make them seem incompetent because that's funny incompetent cops are funny like cops that are harassing people and you know like actually being racist assholes that's not funny you want funny in a stoner movie right yeah they get accidentally high and then freak out like it's it's that's what you absolutely need for a good stoner movie so it does accomplish some of those things despite it's like complete lack of plot um so here's my question. Okay. And I guess this is more like a philosophical question about the Stoner movies. How essential is it for you to be high when watching a Stoner movie? You know, I watched this one sober and I got to say it's incredibly uh- important. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I did as well. And it I don't know, like 
I, I would assume that watching this movie high is an entirely different experience. That's um. There's this uh, have you, there's this movie. It's on Netflix. Maybe you've stumbled across it accidentally. It's called Mac and Devin Go to High School, and it's like no. Snoop Dogg's like a forty year old twelfth year senior, <laughs> uh, and he's the big uh, like drug dealer on campus, and he's got like all the years he's been in high school down a Letterman's jacket. It's really funny. But the movie starts with like a little animated joint, and it says, "Hey, just so you know, you have to be high to enjoy this movie." <laughs> or else you won't like it. And I feel like that needs to play before every Cheech and Chong movie. But uh, what did That's you... Fair. Um, That's fair. What did you think was the funniest part? Um, the funniest part... So, I I really... It's funny, like, I kind of lost interest for a while in the movie, in, like, the middle. Yeah. And then when... I, I think I... Think I so the funniest part for me was the not the opening scene, but the scene when they get pulled over. That whole back and forth when, as you said, when he's got the the way too big joint that he gets extremely high on, and then the, the one guy I don't even I, I don't even know who's who to be totally honest <laughs> with you, but uh, the guy the the one guy basically is like he gives he gives him these pills and he says this will make you feel better and then he takes them and then the, the other guy's like oh wait no no that's like an insane amount of acid you shouldn't have done that <laughs> and then and then the cop pulls them over and then uh, i think the the part that made me laugh the most is like at the end of that scene when um when he's he's the, the other guy's trying to like i guess eat all the rest of the acid so they don't find him on it and then He's, he's, he's totally high out of his mind. The cop asks him for his ID, and he pukes into the other guy's lap. And he just, like, <laughs> makes this, like, like, awful, awful sound. And then the guy driving's like, see, he said his name was Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that made me laugh out loud. But I'll say that, like, after that, then there's, like, maybe, like, a 40-minute period where I just totally lost interest. Like, I just, I wasn't following it. I was like, this is really dumb. And then I kind of got sucked back in once they stopped the nuns at the border. That, yeah. like, caught my attention enough where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to pay attention to this again. No, and that's exactly, I mean, zoning out during a stoner movie, that's kind of just part of the experience, Charlie. Uh, I always loved, um, it's just this one part where it's all the cops, like, discussing how weed is being snuck into the country. And they're showing, um... Like, they're just showing, uh, it's a picture of a TV set, and they're like, genius, they're stuffing the TVs with the yeah. weed. It's like, no, the TVs are made of weed. <laughs> and I'm like, all this shit, you know, I thought, uh, some people want flying cars, you know, some people want to be able to teleport. My ideal future, I mean, my ideal future right now is being able to go outside with my friends again. But That'd be nice. <laughs> a van or a television set that you can also smoke, that is... That's my ideal future. <laughs> it's like you you could just be sitting there watching TV. Tommy Chong's like, yo, man, we're out of weed. Like, no, we're not. We can smoke the fucking TV. But I just, oh, my God. The, and the assembly of the van is just so goddamn funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that that is good. I it do, is clearly I do made that. of plants. <laughs> I also love the... Um, the running gag where uh, the main cop gets pissed on by both the main characters. Yeah. That cracked me up. And it's like, <laughs> stand, I mean, that's why you don't stand right next to somebody in the bathroom, quite honestly. But lessons you learn from a stoner movie. Yeah. There you go. You, you got to learn your lessons here. Uh, so, like, what was your, uh, like, yes, it was really dumb, but do you plan on watching any of these seven sequels, Charlie? There's seven sequels. Well, yeah, there's like there's like eight or nine uh, Cheech and Chong movies. Their animated one isn't that bad. Okay, I mean, like I can't imagine I would go out of my way to watch this movie um, or any other movie that they've done. Um, but again, it's not really my thing. Like yeah. I don't like I don't I don't smoke regularly by any means, and it's not this isn't really my thing. As I said, like. I did really like the Harold and Kumar movie, so I was well, maybe that maybe I'm secretly like a stoner movie fan. I'm like, no, I, I think I should leave this to the people that are getting high on a regular basis. Uh, one thing that that did crack me up though is like I don't know if they started out making this movie thinking it was going to have a plot because they put that they they throw that scene in the beginning of the movie in where he's with his parents and yeah. they're talking about like throwing him out of the house and that's like 
actually a somewhat serious scene. And then the rest of the movie is just complete slapstick. Yeah, like that that stands out as like, why was this in here? It's really just like the goings on of two people who have no idea what's going on ever. Like they're get, like he's getting kicked out of the house, and it's like, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm stealing your Rolls Royce, like shit. Like that. <laughs> like, okay, wrecks it within. It, like there's no scene of him driving the Rolls Royce; it's just pulling out of the driveway. And then it's wrecked on the side of the road. Well, I can't imagine this movie had a particularly high budget, so maybe they just rented a Rolls Royce for like an hour, and that's all they could fit in from a filming standpoint. Oh, that's oh, absolutely. (laughs) That's the low budget nature of the whole thing is kind of what makes it great for me. I had oh, Charlie, I know because I know you've seen this movie. I just want to know: Can you hear Lowrider without picturing Nick Nick Cage or? Nicholas Cage in Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, geez. No, when I heard that, I lost my mind. Because that, yeah, I, I can't hear Lowrider. Lowrider, Donnie. Lowrider. Yep. I can't hear it without thinking that movie because we've talked about this. Like, Gone in 60 Seconds is my classic. Whenever it's on TV, I got to watch it. And I've probably seen it 20, 25 times, despite the fact that, like, objectively speaking, not a very good movie, but it's a goddamn blast to watch. And oh, yeah, the lowrider, the, the lowrider scene, when they're, if, if you haven't seen the movie, basically, like, quick synopsis of that. We should probably do Gone in 60 Seconds. We really should. I can't this. believe it even, took us this long to figure it out. Yeah, even though we've both seen it. But quick, quick uh, plot description. So basically, Nicolas Cage comes back to save his brother. And to save his brother, he has to steal 50 cars and what essentially amounts to one night. And before they're about to go on this heist, you know, this massive heist mission, all the old school guys that were in Nicolas Cage's crew before he he quit the um, he had originally quit the, uh, the 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 boosting business and then he was coming back in to save his brother. But he re- he brings back all of his former people that were in his crew before and all the former people are like getting ready to leave. And, and Nicolas Cage, like all dead serious, is just like Donnie Lowrider. Lowrider Donnie and then they put on the song Lowrider and like all the older members of the crew are just like like vibing to Lowrider yeah while all the young kids are like what the fuck are they doing (laughs) it's so good Oh yeah, that's now like that's that's perfect. That is a great bad movie. Damn. Oh, it's so good, so good. So to kind of close this one out. As as someone, you know, speaking to someone in you who is definitely more of a connoisseur of Stoner movies than I am, like, does it? I feel like in a lot of these conversations we've talked about movies, we've only done two so far. But the big question is like, is it a good movie? Do we like the movie? With Stoner movies, does it even matter whether it's a good movie or not? Like, how do you even judge a movie that is inherently meant to be dumb and bad? Yeah, that's that's like you know, a movie like Days to Confused is. I guess, you know, it's a stoner movie, but it's just kind of a high school movie, and lots of kids in high school smoke weed. Uh, And, like, so that, like, travels into the realm of actually good movie. But for this, especially since it's the first, and it does just seem to be, like, following the goings-on of two idiots who have no idea (laughs) what the fuck is going on around them, I think it's purposefully not good. Like, it's, it's... it's a choice they made to make this a low-budget piece of shit because that's exactly... Look at these two characters. That's exactly what it should be. So we agree that this movie, even though it's probably not good, that's not the point. So this entire last 20 minutes probably didn't matter, but hopefully you got some fun and enjoyment out of his listeners. Yeah, listen, uh, it is what it is. If you've never seen Cheech and Chong, you've got all day on your hands every day. Go for it. Listen to some of their records. Oh, this is something, uh, getting ready to do this show, I did, uh, I did find funny. Have you seen the movie Stripes? No, I have not. Oh, okay. That's a, it's great, but it's, uh, it's... Is he, is one of them in that? All right. It's, it was originally written for, uh, it was originally written for Cheech and Chong, and they turned oh, okay. it down because they didn't get complete control, and it's, to think of them in that movie, it's just completely different. It's funny as hell. Is that that's an army movie, right? Yeah, Bill Murray joins the army. So it basically was supposed to be two stoners join the army. Yeah, exactly. I, I just I, I kind of love the idea of like because I, I feel like the concept of like complete creative control it like it, it 
when I think of that, I think of like these like super artsy people that like they have to have total control over the production. And the fact that Cheech and Chong turned down a role because they couldn't control the process from start to finish is hilarious to me. Hey man, we gotta protect our brands and like <laughs> shit. I'm not gonna do anything that's gonna ruin my character. <laughs> like what, what could you like take a shower like would that have been like, no i'm not fucking doing that <laughs> amazing yeah absolutely amazing so so that uh that, that does it for for up in smoke i would say that if you're if you're trying to burn 90 minutes literally yeah uh good good choice <laughs> it's the month to do it fam that's fair i forgot that that 420 was coming up and i guess like I don't know. I guess people aren't doing anything anyway. So as long as wherever you live allows you to smoke or whatever, have at it. Yeah, that's uh, I was like, did I, did you see the headline the other day? Like Americans are eating, drinking, smoking pot, playing video games and watching porn at an excessive rate because of quarantine. It's like, <laughs> yes. Know, what did you what did you think was going to happen? Yes, because of quarantine, I am this way. <laughs> that's yeah, it's fair. <laughs> All right. All right, so that uh, that that'll close out our look at, at Up in Smoke. So uh, so now we will move to uh, to the music section of this. Um, the uh, what what album did we do the last time you were on? Uh, it was Somewhere in the Between by Streetlight Manifesto. Oh yeah, by Streetlight the, the Sky album. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So last last time Bill was on, Bill picked the album. So this time I picked the album, and the album I picked was uh actually one of um it's probably one of my favorite like and by favorite i mean like i will put it in like my top 50 for albums of the last decade uh celebration rock by japan droids who are a uh uh british columbia indie rock band uh were probably at this is this was their their peak album but this this is when they were at their biggest in like the early 2010s um they released a third album um probably like three or four years after this, but this is probably their, their peak, uh, their peak point in terms of how relevant they were in the music scene. Uh, it was released in 2012. And, uh, I guess I will kick it off by just kind of giving some backstory on the band. Um, so as I said, they're from, uh, from British Columbia, from Vancouver and, uh, kind of a, an unlikely story for these guys, because I feel like there are tons and tons of bands, especially if you, you know, are either in a music scene or on the outskirts of a music scene that, you you go to shows they're one of those bands that like they're always opening for the bigger bands you become buddies with them whatever but like everybody knows that in two years they're gonna break up because they're never gonna they're never gonna get big like they're just they're they're just a local band that opens for everybody and they're good they're good people but they're not going anywhere and that for a long time looked like where this band was gonna go it's just two guys brian king who played guitar and sung and david prowse who played drums and sung and they formed it in 2006 Release a few EPs, toured a ton locally, you know, did some did some tours around the you know around Canada, but nothing major. Didn't really gain much steam, and after two years, it looked like they were gonna break up. You know, not because they were you know at each other's throats or anything, just because you know there's only so long you could be in a band when you're not really you know catching many people's attention and you're not gonna make money, and you know then maybe you move on to whatever's next in your life. Well, they're getting ready to break up. And they had recorded their their full-length debut, which was called Post Nothing, by themselves. And they were going to self-release it. And kind of like a, a mid-major Canadian label was like, yeah, we'll put it out. We like this album. Sure. So they put out the album. And lo and behold, it kind of gets big. Like, they get a – one of the songs gets Best New Music on Pitchfork, which at the time was still really, really big as a, uh, a music criticism site. And then the whole album gets, I think, Best New Music, or at least it got a really good review. So then it's like, okay, well, now I guess we kind of have to stay a band because we've, we're have we getting some hype. You know, people all over North America now know who we are. You know, hey, maybe we could turn this into something. So they start opening for bigger bands, start touring around North America and around the globe. And as they're doing it, they kind of are just like, you know, we're sick of we're sick of touring on this album. We want to play new songs. So let's go and record another album so we can go back on tour and tour for this album too. And they go in, they they record an album that very purposely is like meant to be a good live album. You know, it's got like a ton of gang vocals, you know, big choruses, gi- you know, gigantic guitars. And it's very clear like listen, you listen to the album now and it's like, yeah, they definitely wanted this to be a live album. And 
they don't think they expected it to be any bigger than the first one. Instead, gets absolutely rave reviews. And really, in you go back to the the 2000s and 2010 indie rock scene. It kind of around the midpoint of last decade, I feel like it kind of died out in a, in a lot of ways. It just rock stopped being a really big deal in in music, you know, aside from the scenes that were built up that, you know, had a real sense of community. Like, it stopped being the the type of music that critics paid a ton of attention to. Whereas in the 2000s and the 90s, it obviously was. You, know, you had you had grunge, you had you had, you know, punk rock, pop punk, you had the indie rock boom in the mid 2000s and the 2010s just kind of died and this album in 2012, like this is in my mind is one of the last um, the last like really big rock albums in indie rock with a capital R of that scene, which in a couple year a couple years after was kind of going to peter out a little bit. That's uh, my first comment I had listening to this album. Just first song, uh, "The Night of Wine and Roses." I can't believe this was made in 2012. It sounds like something that should have come out in 2005, and right yeah. away it had me hooked. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is good. I like it." Uh, I had a couple of friends who were into Japan droids around this time, and they were playing, I think, the second or third day of Firefly uh, in 2013. So on this album, they're touring, and, you know, that's next summer. And we were all ready to go see him. Well, if you've ever been to a music festival, you get pretty fucked up. Uh, Slept in, (laughs) slept in, and missed the Japan droids. They were playing, like, earlier in the day, never saw them. And my friends were all bummed, and I'd only really heard a couple of songs of theirs at that point. Wasn't really all that into them. This was my first, like, gonna listen to one of their albums all the way through. Right away, I was like, shit, this is cool. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to wreck it to you because I, I thought it's an album. Like, we talked about when we were doing Shreelight Manifesto that, like, your your thing with music is you kind of just like to have a good time. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm not going into to an album, like looking at it from a, you know, what are the deeper themes? And, you know, what what kind of, you know, is this trying to solve the problems of the universe? Things like that. And this is like one of my favorite recent albums that is really just like, yeah, let's just party. And it, it really is. It's, it's a great party album. And it's it's weird. As you said, it, it's it's kind of the last there weren't a ton of albums like this, I feel like, in the, in the 2000s, but there were some, and there was definitely an element of, like, let's have a good time with certain bands, and this one was, as you said, it, it does feel like it kind of, you know, maybe it doesn't have the same, like, like, I, I, I kind of think to think about the Strokes, and the Strokes, like, they sort of had this element of, like, we're cool, like, we're really, really cool, and we're going to yeah. rock, and I don't think this album has that element of cool, but it definitely has that element of like, yo, we're just going to go out and party. It's a Friday night. We're going to go out. We're going to hit up the bar. We're going to get drunk and we're going to have fun. And I feel like that's an element of like the strokes that maybe they lost as they got older. But this album absolutely captures that kind of mentality. That's uh, in, uh, what was it? It was Fire's Highway. Like there's a lot of whoa, whoa, whoa's. And I'm, like, I'm a sucker for those. Uh, I'll, I'll sing along with a whoa all day. But then an evil sway, I start really paying attention to the lyrics, and yes, this is a like a great album to listen to live, uh, gang vocals, all that stuff, it's a great time, there's a gun club cover on here that I'd love to yeah. dance to, but evil sway, I start really hearing, like, they are storytelling, they have a way of fitting in more lyrics than, than like, feels possible, like, just the way a song is structured, they're fitting enough in to be able to tell the story, still having this real rockish feel. So when I like uh, Wikipedia Japan Droids and I saw Springsteen and Tom Petty like among their uh, influences, I was like, okay, that makes sense. I hear a little bit of that twang and a little bit of that storytelling in their music. Yeah, the thing that's interesting about that, and I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the the lyrics on this album are actually pretty underrated uh, when you really dive into them. But what's funny about it is that their first album, Post Nothing, which was the album that kind of put them on the map, that album, if you go back and listen to it, it's good. Like, I don't think it's as good as this, but it's a good album. That album is very, very much, like, it's not that the lyrics are bad. It's just that they're not a focus at all. Like, you, you, can, you can very much tell that album was made because these guys just like, ah, you know, we're just going to, you know, hammer out a song one day in, in the garage and it'll be fun. Like the, the, the first song off that album, which I believe is like, I think it's like a four minute song. Like it's not, it's not like a, a minute long song. The lyrics consist of 
the boys are leaving town, the boys are leaving town, the boys are leaving town. Will we find our way back home? I don't know. And that's the lyrics of the song. Is that a prequel to The Boys Are Back in Town? It might be <laughs> an intentional prequel to the boys are back in town. But uh, it's funny because like most of that first album is kind of like that. The lyrics don't matter. It's mostly just about like, hey, how how hard can we rock on this song? And that was, I think, the big musical step forward they made on this album was that like the songs still rock just as hard, if not harder. I think they actually became better songwriters. But also the lyrics actually were somewhat important. And I think you can... I think you can listen to this album and not care about the lyrics and still like it just because the choruses are gigantic and you're you're screaming along with it. But if you want to like it for the lyrics, you can. And that's something that the first album didn't really have. And I think, you know, credit credit the band because they, you know, as much as I think they're not their mentality, but kind of their brand is like, hey, we're just out to have fun. Like they are good songwriters. And I think that comes through on this album. Have you ever listened to a band called Smoke or Fire, Charlie? I haven't. Uh, this, uh, for, I just kept getting throughout this album, like I have it noted next to a couple of tracks, um, they just sound like a combination of Smoke or Fire and The Replacements. And to, yeah. to me, that's an awesome fucking, uh, that's an awesome combination. Uh, and I just, it, it is a cool, I, I very much enjoyed the combination of while The Rock is, it, they're going at it. They are having a good time. Th- there is some storytelling in the songs. Yeah, it's. It, I know they uh, they definitely cited the replacements as a uh, you know as an influence, which I feel like every I feel like every every rock band that actually cares about rocking, like either either they're influenced by the replacements or they just love the replacements. Yeah. They're just one of those like like bands that you just you kind of have to cite because if you if you give a shit about making like actual rock music, it's like, well, you have to cite Springsteen. Uh, maybe Tom Petty. Got to cite the replacements. There's just some bands that always come up and they seem like one of them that always comes up. It's funny you mentioned the live shows though. So I saw these guys for the first time, I want to say I saw them in like 2013 i think it was like a year after this album came out i saw them at union transfer it was either 2013 or 2014 and i saw them i I watched the show up in the balcony so i didn't do any of this i wish i had like truthfully if if i would have known that this is what their shows were like i probably would have watched it from from downstairs because pretty much i mean they didn't have that many songs they only had i think maybe like you know this song's an eight-song album. The first album, I think, was like eight or nine songs. And they had the EPs and a couple of singles. But, like, they didn't have a ton of songs to go through. And none of them are that long. So you're like, I wonder how long they can make really make this show. Well, pretty much from the very first song through the end, it was just a constant stream of people stage diving. Like, people just <laughs> running up on stage and jumping into the crowd. And there must have been, like at least 60 people over the course of the show that did it. And I just remember thinking like, shit, I should have been, I, I should have went down there. I kind of, I've never staged over before. I kind of wish I did that. And that's just kind of the, um, I think the, like, that's what this album, that's what this band kind of inspires. It's just that, that very much like a throwback type of like, you know, garage rock, you know, we're just out to have a good time type of thing. Um, they actually played last summer, they played an entire week's worth of shows at Boot and Saddle. Wow, was for a, real? Which was a blast. I yeah, live like around really, the corner from Boot and Saddle. Yeah, it, and I went to one. I think I went to the Friday show. Um, but one of my buddies, he, he went to every single one because this is actually his favorite album ever. And like every night they just went crazy. And it's just the two guys. Like that, That's one of the cool things too about this album is that like it feels huge. It's just the two guys. And they just produce it to the point where it sounds gigantic. It absolutely, no, that's, when I looked it up and saw it was just these two dudes, I was like, man, this thing sounds very big, and I wouldn't call them, like, I don't know if I'd call them a punk band, but they definitely just have that tone of desperation that, yeah, like, punks would get into it, and I can see their shows being a freaking riot. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast, um, you know, as I said, I've seen them twice, both times it was a ton of fun, um, I've, I've heard that, like, in their early days, they were kind of hit or miss because sometimes they were amazing and sometimes they were just so blackout drunk that they were a total mess. But uh, I feel like that kind of fits with their brand, you know? Like, okay, if you're going to... You have to stumble upon them a couple of times when they're just so shit-faced they can't even play their instruments because considering what they sing about. That's rock and roll, baby. Like, that just, you know, come on. If 
Come on, would Keith Moon be a legend if he was sober the whole damn time? That was it, that was the best part of uh, that was the best part of Cheech and Chong. I thought when Chong has to be let out on stage because he's so effed up on Quaaludes, I was like, now nah, this <laughs> this is a rock drummer right here. They're gonna win. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like it kind of fit. You know, we have the uh, this album, and then we have Cheech and Chong. Like it, it just it, it was a. It was a good mix for this show, but kind of to, to go on a, like my soapbox for a little bit about this album. So like not only do I, I love the songs, and I do. I, I think, you know, top to bottom, this is a really, really good album. It, it kind of has to be when you're, when you're making an eight-song album. You, you kind of have to squeeze as much life into those eight songs as you can. Um, and I think it does. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not usually a huge short album person because, you know, kind of, you know, as opposed to you, Bill, I like diving into albums and you know themes and things like that and i find that short albums tend to just be like hey here's a few singles and then some filler and then we're done and i i love the fact that this album despite the fact that it's short i think it gets its point across and it gets its point across really succinctly like it's not there there isn't any wasted there isn't any wasted time on this album like it knows exactly what it's trying to get at and it just nails it over your head over and over again until you get it no, they, they packed a lot in the eight songs here. I was very impressed. When it was over, I was like, oh, wow. That, okay, cool. All right, nice, nice. Yeah, I remember, like, one thing that about this album for me, um, from a personal standpoint, when I was in my, like, early to mid-20s, I would go up to New York a lot because a lot of my college friends um, lived in New York. Um, they all moved up there. They got jobs after graduation, and a lot of my friends that still lived in Philly were either like they were busy or whatever. Like I, I lived with two of my college friends, but they were both in med school. So a lot of weekends they were studying or doing something that, you know, didn't involve going out and, you know, drinking or whatever. So a lot of times I would take the bus up to New York and I remember what I would do. And this was like for a good year and a half is, you know, you get you're you're coming up on Lincoln Tunnel, and you you're route you're about to get there, and you start seeing the uh, the skyline pops up. And every time I'd be on the bus and I'd see the skyline, I'd turn this album on. And this album would just like it would get me in like the mood because it would usually like end right around when I was getting to the Port Authority, and I just like I just remember you know, kind of turning on the, the Knights of Wine and Roses and hearing the fireworks has started and then that uh, that one part, because it it, the whole song builds up to basically just this like intense rock out at the end for like a minute and a half. And just like when that would hit, I'd always be like, okay, I'm going to have a fun weekend. And it just, it just kind of became my tradition that like this was the album I would listen to, the last album I would listen to before getting off the bus to hang out with my, my college friends in New York. And it just, it fit, it fit that really well. At the time, you know, you're in your early 20s, you're having fun, you're the perfect kind of, I guess, audience for this kind of album. Um, But it's funny, I think one of the reasons why, you know, I think this album goes beyond just being, like, eight great songs, which it absolutely is. And I think if you want to like this album just for that, you absolutely can. But I think there's, there's a lot more, I think, going on under the surface here, and it goes back to what you were saying about the lyrics being good. Um, You know, the there's a, there's kind of an underlying sentiment that you really only pick up after you listen to it a lot because you really dove into it but i i don't think this album is like just about the act of like partying and having fun even though that's very clearly a big part of it but there's definitely an element of like this can't go on forever and because this can't go on forever because we can't spend our entire lives in our early 20s and going out and partying every weekend like enjoy it while it lasts and I think there's like that that just adds to kind of the the nostalgia feeling of it. Like it, it's a very in the moment album because you can listen to it, you know right before you're going to go out to the bar and, and it gets you amped up. But you can also listen to it as like you know th- kind of th- this this isn't permanent. Like the there's there's one there's one line in Night of Wine and Roses that I've always loved, and it's like one of the first lines is "Don't we have anything to live for?" And then they stop, and it's like, well, of course we do, but until it comes to uh, until it comes true, we're drinking. And it's just that element of like, this isn't going to last forever, but while it's going on, we're going to have as much goddamn fun as possible. Like younger us is basically about like, Hey, remember, remember when, uh, you know, remember when you were so drunk, you passed out and I knocked on your door and was like, yo, we're going back out. And you're like, all right, I'm rallying. We're going back out. Like, that's what it's about. And it's, it's just as much like celebrating that moment. And also like, man, like that was three, four years ago and we're not going to be able to continue to do this forever. And I just think like, it's that 
extra aspect of it that turns this from like a collection of eight really good songs into like an album that actually holds together really well as a whole. And I think uh, like I love the continuity of the fireworks at the beginning and the fireworks at the end. Yeah. And yeah. I think like that, um, like having that as like the fireworks is a metaphor for what you're saying. Like, Hey man, it's going to burn bright and fast and it's a lot of fun. Let's fucking watch this. And then it's over. You know, you're now 35. Get your shit together. (laughs) uh, No, exactly. I I felt a lot of that just on the first, on the first listen through really. It was a, it was incredibly enjoyable. And music, like I love hearing how you're transported to that time and place because that's what music is. Like music is personal. Your musical tastes are personal. It transport you to who you were when you were listening to it. And the album kind of having that as an overtone is like it's another layer of uh, storytelling. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, It's really cool when an album. And there, there's not every album has this ability. I don't think it's like a prerequisite to be a great album. But I think it's really cool when you can, you can listen to an album at one point in your life, and it has a certain meaning for you. And then you can listen to that same album five, six years later, and then it has a totally different meaning that's equally as valid as the initial meaning, but just totally different because you're in a different point in your life and different, you, you know, different things are important to you when you're, you know, 18 versus when you're 25 versus when you're 30. And it's cool when, when an album has the ability, when it's written well enough that it can kind of, it can, it can stand in for different events and different feelings you're having, even if you're a totally different person, you know, five years down the road. Damn, Chuck, you should be a music writer. Hey, I mean, if the if the sports writing thing didn't work out, that was definitely a consideration. The problem is, is that like as tenuous as as sports journalism is, music journalism is even worse. So. Well, at least Charlie, there will continue to be music. We don't know about <laughs> fucking sports. That is a very very fair point. Um, okay, so uh, so I think we kind of we we went through sort of why I love the album. I think we got a pretty good read on you know that you liked it as well, which I'm super pumped about. Um, but let's kind of transition into uh, favorite songs for you. I, I I have three that stand out uh, far and above the others. Not that I don't love the others, but I want to hear what songs kind of hooked you on first listen. Uh, Wine and Roses right away. That was probably my favorite song. I was like, okay, cool. I like this shit. Let's go. Like, uh, it, it just, a soon, perfect album opener, uh, really good song, just dug it a lot. Uh, and then I have the others here, uh, Evil Sway, that's when I was like, I'm starting to get the smoke or fire feeling, I'm starting to hear like the Bruce and Petty storytelling, yeah. it's where it's yeah, all fair. really starting to come together for me for what I'm really listening to. And then uh, the last track, Continuous Thunder, I love the guitar open. Uh, the drums coming in a little late is re- just, it, it sounds very big. It's like, and here I am, motherfucker. And then um, it sounds like a song that would close out a Replacements album. Like, that's like, this is what they yeah. would close with right here. This is it. Everyone go the fuck home. Uh, and then, you know, it's followed by the fireworks. And I just really like that continuity and metaphor and all that. No, that's that's really interesting. You know, I didn't, I guess I, I've never made that connection. Uh, with Continuous Thunder and the replacements, but that fits. I, I I like that. I think that's that's really cool because the interesting thing about Continuous Thunder is that it's probably the only song on the album that isn't like breakneck pace. Yeah. Like it's very much the like okay like let's catch our breath and I, I like the idea of just, you know like sit back the night's over let's just watch the rest of the fireworks and kind of you know let it let it let it end on the best note possible and it's funny because I don't know if that's like the favorite song by a lot of people but I, I agree it's a great song and it's cool that like that one hooked you because it's definitely different from from the rest of the the album even though it's only an eight song album that's like it's eight songs I like that I got through it it was cool. Then, like, all right, two or three kind of sound very similar, and then, boom, they hit you with Continuous Thunder. You're like, oh, well, that's something else entirely. All right, all right. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And and Continuous Thunder is a song that, like, maybe I don't listen to 
when I go back, I, if I'm picking like a song out, I don't listen to it as much, but I, I kind of want to now because now like hearing that idea of like, yeah, that I, I do get that like replacements vibe. I, I see where you're coming from. I kind of want to like kind of put that back on playlist so I can, I can get back into it. Um, so for me, I am definitely with you on Knights of Wine and Roses. Like that, I think I agree is it's my favorite song on the album. And it's just that it all builds to that part where like, you go, they, they, they go to the end and then you just get that hay and then it's hay and it's just this complete explosion of music. And I just, I love, as much as I love lyrics and I do love lyrics, like that's one of main, my main things about music that I love. I love when songs build up to just this gigantic musical explosion. Like that's one of the reasons why I like post-rock, even though I like lyrics, because I love like the slow build up into just this massive musical release. And that song just nails it perfectly in a way that really none of the other tracks do. Not to, to set any, say anything against them, but that one, it's all about that that cathartic release. And I love that. Um, aside from, from Night of Wine and Roses, um, Love Younger Us. That was actually the first... Uh, the first single off the album, um, which kind of threw people, I think, in retrospect, because again, that first album they did, it wasn't very lyrically focused. You know, it was more of like his classic garage rock band type feel. And then they throw Younger Us at you, which is definitely a lyrically focused song. And it was, you know, better production values and whatnot. I'm like, wow, what's this band turning into? And then turned out the whole album was kind of like that. Um, but that song I love because it, it kind of has that same vibe of like, you know, this isn't going to last forever. And I think that's the first song that really hammers that theme home. And then uh, and then The House That Heaven Built, which I think is probably their most popular song. Um, it's actually the entrance song for the Vancouver Canucks that when they uh, when they come ah, on the ice shit. before every game, that's the song they enter to. Because, again, they're a Vancouver band. Um, but that's like. I feel like that's like the epic. That's the epic track. That's the one that they close like a lot of their, uh, maybe they close their encore with or they close their main set with. But that's like the big one, and uh, and I think that's where like the the theme of the record really comes through because the whole song is pretty much about at least the way I've interpreted it. It's like about like this like like aging partier who's like telling his story to like the young gun, like the young college kid who's like, this is how, this is how you, you enjoy life to the fullest. And then like the final chorus, they switch it up. Cause like the chorus for the, for the entire song is, it's basically like it, it, it plays as advice. It's like when they, and when they try to slow you down, tell them all to go to hell. And the final chorus, he switches it to himself. And he's like, and when they try to tell me, when, when, when they try to slow me down, I'll tell them all to go to hell. And it's like, it's just that twist of like, it's that twist of it turns from advice to like, I'm going to have my one last hurrah too. And I just, I love that. I love that songwriting technique. It's one of those like very subtle, very small things, but it really just brings out the theme of the song so well. I love it. Yes, that is, that, that is definitely... Like, when my friends were into the band, they're like, listen to this. This is the one you got to hear. Like, obviously have heard uh, House That Heaven Built before. But, yeah, so, yeah it's a uh, great freaking song. I enjoy yeah. it thoroughly. Yeah, I definitely think that's the uh, – that it makes sense that, that would be the song that your friends would play because, yeah, that was the that was the big one. That was the one that, you know, the the, the album reviews pointed out that they they definitely make as like the centerpiece of their their live show. So that that makes a lot of sense. That if your if your friends are trying to get you into the band, that's probably the song they'll uh, yeah they'll play. I as I said, I actually like uh, Nights of Wine and Roses better, but House of Heaven Bill is maybe more like traditionally epic. So I I, I get it. Damn. So here's here's my oh. question for you on this because this is something I've kind of wondered um, more for me personally, and I think based on kind of what you said, I I have an idea what I think your answer would be um but I, I always kind of wondered with this album like I consider myself a rock fan absolutely but I feel like a lot of the stuff that I listened to around this time before I got into this album was you know more on the you know classic indie rock like you know a little bit more fussy a little slower you know you know talking about like themes and you know writing like intellectual rock music and then this comes in and just completely knocks me on my ass. And what I always kind of wondered is like, is this really like a great capital R rock album? Or is it is it viewed by people who were into the kind of music that I was as a capital R rock album because 
we just weren't listening to a lot of stuff like this. And this kind of was like, okay, this is an indie rock approved rock album. And, and I, I, that's always kind of been the one thing that I've had in the back of my head about this record is like, am I overrating it? Because I just don't, there's, because there's a lot more stuff out there like this that I just tend not to listen to. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's uh, like, I, I, you know, it's always personal. Um, anyone's music tastes like you like what you like. It is what it is. Uh, but I will say, I don't know. It it does seem like this was the death rattle, like the one of the last releases of this kind of thing. Where hey, like the way this ain't gonna last forever. That whole uh, yeah. that whole theme of this album. Well, what I liked about music didn't last forever, and this is you know this is freaking 2012, and it's I haven't heard something that good in a while. I'll tell you that. Um, it, it's hard to say though. I like. I just like the mix of genres. I can't nail it down to any one thing. I keep hearing other stuff I really like in it. And I think that kind of what helps it um, stand up too is that it's not just one thing. Yeah, it kind of... And and I think one thing that makes this album... I wouldn't say it makes the album, but it definitely helps it is that it's not too produced. Like, it doesn't... I feel like if this album would have been produced cleaner, and I'm not saying it's produced, it's not saying this is like a lo-fi album, but there's definitely like, like the, the guitars sound raw. They don't sound like mechanical. They sound in your face. Like the drums are, are punchy and in your face. They don't sound muffled or anything. And I feel like that almost like, that plays into like that like timeless feel of the album where like maybe it's, it's more produced than say like an, an album in the late 80s. But I could hear this music being played in the late eighties. You know, you could have recorded this album next to the replacements and like they could have opened for the replacements. I feel like, and that would have made sense. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, but that's, you said early, like you could, you think this was made to be a live album and this makes yeah. me want to see them live. Like there's a lot of bands who I'm like, you know, you hear their recorded stuff and it's just softer. Does it sound great? It does, but it's just, the curves are rounded out a little bit. And then you hear, the, like, oh, no, dude, when they play it live, it's hard as hell. And you're like, oh, shit, okay. I get the impression from listening to this recorded, they're going to be a lot of fun. I don't need to go in thinking one thing and then have my mind changed another way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And there's definitely some bands that, you know, they go into the studio and they want to make, like, the perfect album. And by the perfect album, it's like, you know, you have, like, all these extra studio like, tricks and you're, you know, you're, you're throwing in, you know, violins and synths and everything like that. And like, I, I like those albums because I think they can, you know, they can be really you know beautiful in a way and, and really, really well made, but there's something special about an album. That's just like, we want to make this so it's super easy to reproduce live and we can just go crazy with it. And that I think is absolutely this record. Uh, and it's, it, I'm really impressed with this one, Charlie. You have picked, uh, in our two shows together, you have now picked the better movie and the better album. So I got, I got, I got to step up my game here. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think that pretty much does it. I think we, uh, you know, we went through this. Uh, I'm glad you liked the album. Like as I, as I told Kelly, I'm sure at some point I'm gonna throw something out there that that one of you guys doesn't like, and that'll be fun in its own way too. Um, I mean. I think the Cheech and Chong movie was probably as close to like me not liking it as I was going to, but I even, I enjoyed parts of it. I just, it's just the kind of movie where I probably should have been high if I was going to well, watch it's, it. It's barely a movie. Like while this it's is a damn a good album, that is barely <laughs> a movie. Oh man. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that about does it. Um, Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the, the 50 minutes or so to, to chat music and movies. With good me times, week. Charlie. Good times. All right. Thanks again for uh, for listening and we will see you next week.